This is Triple H, 100.1 FM with Ian Stewart. Good afternoon and welcome to Rotary Matters. Today we continue our exploration of Rotary, what it is, the good work that it does and how Rotarians and non-Rotarians can get involved. Now we call this program Rotary Matters because as you're going to find out over the next hour, Rotary impacts many lives, many causes and many concerns locally and all over the world. In this series so far, we've taken a look at a wide range of Rotary initiatives, topics like the National Youth Science Forum, the Jumbo Joy Flight for Disabled and Disadvantaged Children, and the worldwide campaigns to end polio and malaria. Rotary members believe that they have a shared responsibility to take action on the world's most persistent issues, including the promotion of peace, fighting disease, the provision of clean water, sanitation and hygiene, saving mothers and children growing local economies and very importantly supporting education and this is what today's episode of Rotary Matters is all about. Today we're going to be meeting Annabel Chauncey OAM, a Sydney cider, a Rotarian and co-founder of an extraordinary educational project in Uganda. Started 10 years ago is now flourishing in an area where such opportunities would never have happened without Annabel's intervention. It's called the School for Life and we'll visit the school with Annabelle in a few minutes. But first, and if you're joining us for the first time, let me give you a quick refresher about Rotary. It's a worldwide organisation set up over 100 years ago to foster the ideal of service as a basis of worthy enterprise. Worldwide, there are 1.2 million members, 35,000 Rotary clubs in 220 countries. So it's a relatively large organisation. Here in Australia, we have 30,000 Rotarians, 1,100 clubs and another 270 over in New Zealand. Here in the Triple H catchment area, there are 10 Rotary clubs, though as our signal goes beyond Hornsby and Kringai, this number is certainly higher. Most clubs will meet once a week and they donate their time to a range of very worthy community service projects. Some are local, some are international and some are aimed at youth. An international activity could be funding and distributing emergency shelter boxes dispatched in response to natural disasters. A local example could be the Tree of Joy programme taking place every December in St Ives. Gifts are sought and distributed by Rotarians to nursing homes, retirement villages and the housebound elderly. And a youth-focused activity could be the reciprocal student exchange schemes, enabling exceptional students to spend a year overseas studying and learning about their host country. As I said a few moments ago, today we're going to be meeting Annabelle Chauncey, OAM, co-founder of a school in Uganda called School for Life. She'll tell us how it got started, the challenges faced and the remarkable growth over the past 10 years. We hope this is going to inspire you to dig a bit deeper, to find out more about the causes that Rotary supports and to consider getting involved and we'll tell you how to do it. I'm looking forward to this uh, very much. Welcome back. This is Rotary Matters. You're on Triple H 100.1 FM. It's Ian Stewart here and my guest this afternoon in the studio is Annabel Chauncey, OAM, who's here to talk to us about the School for Life in Uganda. Welcome, Annabel. Thank you so much, Ian. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming in. So give us a bit of background here, Annabel. Uh, why and how did this school actually get started in the first place? <laughs> Good question. I, um, I'm a country girl. I grew up on a sheep and cattle farm in the Southern Highlands um, and I was studying to be a lawyer actually at Sydney Uni and couldn't quite find how I was going to be able to use my law skills to make a difference. So I decided to take six months off um, to save up some money and to go over volunteer in um, Africa. I found myself in Kenya first and unfortunately Kenya erupted into civil 
war during the period that I was signed up to teach uh, English to children over there. So I actually ended up being evacuated across the border into Uganda. And when I got into Uganda, I was just blown away by the number of children um, the fact that, you know, a country, it's a country the same size as the state of Victoria and it's got a population of 43 million people. So how did you find a teaching job? Oh, look, I, was, I signed up to do a three-month project with an Australian organisation called World Youth International. Right. And um, sadly that, that sort of ended quite quickly because unfortunately they didn't have operations in Uganda. So I sort of had a choice. Do you give up and go home or do you adapt and find a new way forward? And I decided to adapt and go into Uganda and I just had to roll my sleeves up and have a go and just sort of, you know, work out what there was that I could contribute towards. So you you arrive in the capital of Uganda and then you start looking around and making inquiries. Is that how it was? Yeah, I actually went to Jinja, which is uh, about two hours um, southwest of um, the of the capital because that was closest that um, we could go and basically just started to look around and look for community-based organisations that were doing good work. Um, I worked in some orphanages. I was working in a few schools as well and the quality of the education was just overwhelming for me. Overwhelmingly in need of absolutely of, of some focus and some experience. Dire some classrooms, uh, kids walking between five and ten kilometres every day to get to school, mm-hmm. to the mud hut that they called school with no shoes on their feet, having not eaten anything, and to arrive to not have any desks, no pens, no pencils, plastic bags as school bags. So this is what ten years ago. This is yeah, just uh, probably twelve years 12 ago years now. Ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and those experiences shape me you know they they uh, they were so deeply impactful I wanted to do something to make a difference and for me education is a gift that can't be taken away it's something that you can use as a springboard you know to to, to create generational change of course so I decided that I wanted to build some schools. <laughs> some schools, exactly. she says, modestly. Exactly. I wasn't alone, <laughs> though. I was um, very lucky during that period of time. I met my co-founder, Dave Everett, who was also travelling with me. And we were both just inspired by how how such a little amount of money goes such a long way in a place like Uganda. So we put our heads together and we started to design what it would look like to develop a model for education in Uganda. So we're talking about um, adopting an existing school or starting with a green field and building your own. Exactly, starting with a green field. Um, primarily because we knew that we could do it in a way that was quite different. Um, we wanted to own the land that we built on and we wanted to empower the local people to help themselves there's so much need over there you could literally build thousands and thousands of schools so where was the green field well good question so um, it's old system title in Uganda we were driven by um, the experiences that we'd had in rural communities seeing the fact that kids there are the ones that are suffering the most so we knew that we needed to be rural we worked together with the Ministry of Education to identify the most needy areas and then we started to look for land and of course needed to find the title. So the Ugandan ministry was quite supportive of of the idea. Very supportive. You put a proposal to them and they saw the way that improvements could be made. It's been very important from a sustainability perspective that we work together with the local people, that we provide them with a hand up, not a handout, and that it's locally owned and driven. Mm-hmm. So a big part of that is ensuring that the government is happy with us being there and supportive of the work that we're doing. So you found land at Katusa? Exactly. That was the first block of land. And how far away is that from the capital? 
Uh, it's it's closer now. And when I first started working over there, Kampala was a quite a small city, and it's now sprawled so much. It's about an hour and a half drive. Okay. Yeah. okay. So it's you only fa- about fifty kilometres, though. Right. So you found a site. Exactly. Um, and then you had presumably to submit uh, design plans. Exactly. Now, was this then for a primary or a secondary school? This is for a primary to primary. begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if Dave and I had have had it our way, we would have tried to build three schools in three months, I think. Um, but what we didn't understand or know what was ahead of us was the challenge was going to be to get funding and to get registrations. And that's really where Rotary comes into play. Right. We're right. two crazy 21-year-olds with a really big dream on a piece of paper going around to anyone who would listen asking for funding. Yes. And of course, everybody's telling us to come back when we've grown up or not come back at all or, you know, and and so we needed to be partnered with a really strong institution who could back us and give us some integrity as well. So that approach to Rotary was back here in Australia or or locally in Africa? Here in Australia. So we started to ask for funding and people say, well, you don't have tax deductibility, you're not a registered charity. So we started to understand quite quickly some of the challenges that were going to be ahead of us. And we heard a lot about Rotary, the great work of Gemma Cecilia, who's founded the School of St. Jude's, um, which is similar schools to um, the schools that we're running in Uganda. However, they're in Tanzania. And she'd had amazing success and Rotary had really backed her. So I started knocking on Rotary's door, talking to them about what we wanted to achieve. And we went up to Rorks, which is the World Community Service Arm of Rotary, with a plan, a business plan. And we pitched to the board. It took us uh, about seven meetings. Um, and I remember on that day, uh, they, it was about a 5-4 vote. So five people voted yes and four voted no this, okay. to supporting us. So uh, which particular Rotary clubs were you uh, uh, talking with? Firstly, it was Mossvale. Mossvale? Yeah, so that's Close where I home. grew up. Close to Close home. Close to home and in Castle Hill, which is where Dave was from as well. Right, okay. And yeah, and then we pushed on and uh, the Rorks the Rorks board said yes to us and we were smooth sailing after that because we had rotary stamp of approval which was a huge huge you know boost for us and for our own credibility particularly in such you know at such a young age okay so land is identified you've got some plans for a primary school you've got some funding uh, trickling through from through the rotary (laughs) rotary channels yeah and um, builders were contracted or how did that all happen? No, we actually uh, mobilised local people from within the community. We found ourselves an amazing foreman and he built a team around him. We were really passionate about using unskilled support and just providing them with capacity development along the way. So most of our builders were from the proximity of the local area in which we were operating. So the size of this initial building? Oh, pretty small. It was probably only, it's just two classrooms to begin with and 10 toilets, 10 pit latrines. And the capacity, how many kids could you... Early days, we, the, we enrolled 80 students and uh-huh. we opened our schools for the very, our first two classrooms for the very first time on the 31st of January 2011. Wow. But then in addition to the children who would presumably be enthusiastic to come, yep. you had to find uh, teachers too. Absolutely. And that was hard. We knew we needed the best teachers we could find if we were going to really deliver on that promise of quality education, which is what's so important to us. So we managed to find an incredible leader. Her name's Jennifer. She's still with us. Um, and she came out. She's a she, was she local or from local, Australia? Local, yeah, local Ugandan. Very important for us that all the staff are Ugandan as well. Um, and she came out and had a look at the school 
school. At that stage, it was pretty much a jungle, and she was a very you know well trained educator. And uh, we said to her, "Will you take a chance? Will you get involved and become part of School for Life?" And she said yes, which was a huge win for us. She hasn't just been a teacher; she's also been a role model and a community developer as well. We're talking with Annabelle Chauncey here um, on Rotary Matters about the School for Life in Uganda. Welcome back to uh, Rotary Matters. Ian Stewart here with my guest in the studio, Annabelle Chauncey, OAM, from the School for Life in Uganda. Uh, so, Amanda, you started off with one primary school. What's the situation, uh, uh, situation now? More schools? Yeah, sure. So now we've got two primary schools that feed their graduates into one larger high school. We've got 1,000 students across three schools. And, and do the schools work um, the same sort of uh, hours that they do in Australia? Similar. A little bit of a longer day. The kids start at 7.30 because they come in for breakfast. We feed them three meals a day at School for Life. Very important part of our programs is ensuring the kids' nutrition is well looked after. Um, and they go through to 3.30 p.m. Um, we often do sport matches after school as well. So I imagine the parents are quite pleased that you're able to feed their Absolutely. children. A huge draw card for the parents. Most kids before School for Life were malnourished and stunted. In fact, one in three children in Uganda under five is stunted due to malnutrition. Yeah. So bringing in a really, really uh, healthy, rounded, nutritionally balanced diet was super important. So you've got th- um, three schools, a pri- two primary and a secondary. Yes. Um, you've got a thousand students. Mm-hmm. And how many staff now? Uh, we've got 114 staff across two countries. Um, we've got approximately 57 teachers, I think it is. Sometimes I find it hard to keep up these days, but we've got an amazing support team as well. So we've obviously got construction workers, cooks, cleaners, maintenance, head office, um, all this is a big enterprise. It is, yeah. It's grown. It's grown quick. It's grown quickly, probably faster than I'd ever envisaged. But it's an amazing project. So you mentioned Jennifer yes. a few moments ago. I guess she would have inspired other teachers to join and share the same passion. That's exactly right. The flow-on effect of the teachers has been huge. And they're not just teachers for the children. They're also role models for the whole community. You know, they go above and beyond in everything they do. They're out in the homes at night working with issues of alcoholism and domestic abuse, you know. Um, They're seen as real beacons of light and people uh, aspire to be teachers. Our Mm. children often say they'd like to be a teacher when they grow up. If you're listening to this program and you want to get a closer feel for what it actually looks like at the school, I'd urge you to go on to Annabelle's um, website, schoolforlife.org.au, because there's some wonderful photography of the of the buildings and of the the smiles on the children <laughs> in their smart uniforms. Yeah, they look they're so proud. Um, the best thing about my job is that I get to work with people who really want an opportunity, and you know I'm continually inspired by the fact that despite the hardships that these kids face, they come to school every day with these bright, happy smiles on their faces, wanting to be there. Mm-hmm. They know education is going to break them free from the cycle of poverty. So. Um, it can't all have been plain sailing and straightforward, Annabelle. I know you're grinning, uh, but uh, there must have been one or two setbacks along the way. Yeah, there's been a number. It's uh, it's never easy when you're working in an environment that's quite foreign. Um, as a woman in business, it was quite tricky for me. You know, women don't really have a place in business in Uganda, or they certainly didn't in the first, you know, sort of early days when we were setting up. Um, so I had to sort of overcome some of those challenges. Um, it's been difficult to raise funding. Um, Africa isn't on everybody's agenda here in Australia. 
area. So I've really had to develop an engaged and inspired community around School for Life who are very committed to the cause. Um, and then, of course, you know, you have uh, challenges of growth and navigating very quick growth. You know, we had one school in 2014 uh, managed to land an incredible grant um, of 1.25 million US dollars to build two more schools from the Cotton On Foundation. Right. But that meant tripling the size of our operation in 24 months. So, you know, we went from 30 staff to 90 to 120, you know, really, really quickly. Um, and I had to to pivot and adjust and make sure that, you know, I had everybody in line and we're all, you know, rowing in the same direction. So, yeah, there have been some tough times. So how did you get the attention of the Cotton On Foundation or did they find you? I'm pretty good at uh, making uh, noise. I like knocking on people's doors and I think probably nine in ten people say no, but the ones that say yes are really engaged. And I knew Cotton On Foundation were doing some work in Uganda, so I decided, you know, it's great to collaborate. If we can work together to go further, that's amazing. So talk about cotton just for a moment. Um, there's a tailoring project yes. uh, run nearby which has benefits to the people in the school. Can you just explain that? So we've we've got a women's vocational training program which was actually set up by a rot- rotary group called SOAID International. That's S-E-W-A-I-D, yeah, SOAID, yeah. yes. Fantastic organisation that's been set up over here and they travel, well-trained tailors travel over to developing countries to teach women how to sew, which provides them with a livelihood. You know, one of my favourite stories was the story of Rose who you know she was a mother her husband had beaten her so badly that she'd moved out which is almost unheard of in a place like Uganda she'd moved back in with her father her father had been welding without eye protection for his whole career and had consequently developed cataracts on his eyes now an eye operation like that costs $500. So he's resigned himself to the fact that he's never going to be able to see again. Rose comes to School for Life hearing about this program that we're offering for vocational training. She gets a job with School for Life. She saves the money that she needs to pay for her dad's eye operation. But almost more importantly, she manages to build herself her own house and live in a place where she's now free from domestic abuse and can bring up her kids safely. So it's just amazing to see the results. So vocational training is part of the the syllabus? Very much so. Um, I believe passionately in empowering the local people to be successful in their environment. Can we provide them with skills to to become tailors, to become better farmers? Are we able to help lift them where they're already living? So um, you mentioned a moment ago the grant from Cotton On, but funds are raised from other sources too. Exactly. Locally here in Sydney. Tell us about one or two of the things you're up to. We've got a number of initiatives. We've obviously got to keep quite a diverse portfolio in order to maintain our funding. Uh, We have a black tie ball every year. We just had ours on Saturday. It raised close to half a million dollars um, and it has done every year. So that's a big chunk of our revenue. We've got a child sponsorship program, which is a really important part as well. So you can actually sign up to sponsor one of our students. We've got about a gap of 350 kids who are unsponsored because we're growing and taking more kids in year on year. Um, we've also so, got- so just to be clear about the sponsor child, somebody here in Australia can elect to sponsor exactly. a particular child. Yes. And they know who that child is? Yeah, and you can correspond, you receive photos and updates, Um, you can send a little gift over if you'd like to, and um, just stay connected to the School for Life community over in Uganda. 
So you've got the black tie ball that you've yep. just done. You've got the sponsoring of the children in that way. We also climb Mount, Mount Kilimanjaro every year, which is a great challenge. I've done that one twice myself. So How far away is that from the school? That's about a 45-minute flight. So we go over to Uganda after we've climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. This year we took on Mount Kosciuszko as well. So the distance to walk up and down Kosciuszko is just about as far as most students in Uganda walk to get to school and back every single day. So that was a family-friendly event. So making sure that we could help to educate Aussie kids on just some of the challenges of the kids over in Uganda. So how does it work then, the Kilimanjaro climb? People from Australia, they pay a fee Mm -hmm. for the right to climb and then... then, of which uh, some covers the actual costs and some is a contribution towards the school. Yeah, and then they can ask their friends and family if they'd like to sponsor them to do the hike. Right. And then after they've done the climb, do they then spend some time at the school? The people who've... The Kilimanjaro? Yes. Absolutely, yeah. So then there's an immersion trip afterwards. Immersion trip. Yeah. We've also got a parent-child trip as well, which is a really popular one. So parents have an opportunity to bring their kids over to Uganda to experience life in Africa. Fantastic. Look, it sounds an extremely worthwhile project. And Back to Rotary Matters. I'm Ian Stewart. With me this afternoon, Annabelle Chauncey, OAM, on behalf of the School for Life, a wonderful initiative which you co-founded 10 years ago in Uganda. Um, Annabelle, um, as well as the fully able-bodied children, you must have kids with special needs too. We do, we do. We've got a number of children with disabilities. I think, you know, I know we're not supposed to have favourites, but I do absolutely love um, the work that we've been doing with special needs. So we've got an amazing little girl called Pauline. When she came to School for Life, she had red hair. Um, For those of you who don't know, when children suffer from significant malnutrition, their hair colour can change. Um, She said only one word and that was Dada and um, she was very unwell. Anyway, we... So what age did she join you? She joined us at the age of five. Five, wow. In Uganda, uh, if you're disabled, you're hidden away, shunned by society. Many people believe in witchcraft and you could be believed to be possessed by the devil. Um, So it was really a big thing that her mother brought her out of the community and she was so sick because she hadn't been looked after. And we said, you know, come on, we've got to, you know, help educate her. We've got to look after her health and well-being and the great thing about having Pauline as part of our program is she's ab- absolutely shifted the mindsets of almost the whole community. People are now, you know, bringing their children to school for life willingly who have disabilities and saying, I want to give my ch- child a chance. And, you know, we're feeding them three nutritious meals a day. She's coming to school every day. She's learnt to read and write. She can speak in sentences. And she's got an amazing teacher as well called Joseph, who's also deaf. So he he teaches sign language. So it's just incredible to see that you can actually really change the mindsets of people by inclusivity. So a a teacher who's deaf is teaching children with with special needs and disabilities? Primarily those who are deaf also. Wow. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, he's an incredible man. And uh, it's, yeah, the, the, the ripple effect of incorporating people with special needs into our programs has been huge. I just love that it's now celebrated that you have a disability rather than shunned and, you know, sort of ostracised. So what's been the reaction of the local Ministry for Education? They're very positive. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very grateful for the work that we're doing. As you can imagine, a country like Uganda doesn't have a strong GDP to be able to support welfare and education. So wherever they can get help, they're willing and um, wanting. So they're very uh, supportive of the work that we're doing. We are a part of the 
ministry, obviously, because we need to get our registrations. We implement the Uganda national curriculum. So do they sort of inspect you? Yeah, they- yeah, we've got to get our licenses. So we're, we're privy to inspections once a year. Um, and, you know, we have to abide by the rules of the Uganda government which is all very relatively easy. But, but your work with special needs children has, has presumably uh, pleased and, inspi- and, and inspired. Really. Yeah, exactly. And even our work with girls, you know, I'm very passionate about the work that we do. In Uganda, four out of five girls don't get a chance to go to high school. Mm-hmm. And we've maintained a 50-50 boy-girl ratio in every high school grade. So just that alone is changing you know, it's shifting the fact that girls who are 14 to 16 years old are getting pregnant and married and working at home and not valued to have a chance to go to school. And we've been able to maintain that ratio and ensure that girls are treated equally. So, Annabelle Chauncey, what happens next? You've got, a pri- you've <laughs> got two primary, you've got yes. a secondary... Yeah. Are you looking at opening other schools? Yeah, absolutely. So we are developing, we have developed a model which is scalable and replicable, not just in Uganda, but across the developing world. Um, part of that is partnerships. We've just taken on a partnership with another organisation that's educating 800 students in a very similar way to School for Life. So quality education, providing you know well-trained teachers and all the resources that kids need to be successful. So we're piloting that. Um, we're working together on some of the shared back office services, things like HR, uh, monitoring and evaluation strategy so that we can maximise our output. So this is another NGO who's come exactly. to you, yeah. seen what you've done and said, we like this. Can we do it? Can, can, we, can we share can we your leverage? experience? Can we work together? Can we do more? And this um, is going to happen? That's, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's really positive and, you know, where we can, I love to collaborate to maximise our impact. I think, you know, we're all trying to fight similar fires out in, you know, in the NGO world. So if we can work together, we should. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So that's part of it. And then obviously there's a massive thirst, um, particularly for me, to build more schools um, and educate more kids. I'd love to see 10,000 kids educated in the next 10 years. Fantastic. Well, I I take my hat off to you. I really do. Thank you. Um, it's a wonderful initiative and it's terrific that it's come out of Australia. You've gone to Africa, you've founded these these schools yeah. and, and there's more on the horizon. It's Definitely. just, just uh, mind-blowing. Thank you. So um, our listeners here uh, to Triple H, um, Annabelle, what's the best thing that they could do? Please jump on to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at School for Life Foundation. It would be incredible if you had uh, an ability to sponsor a child. It costs $42 a month to sponsor a child and that provides them with tuition and uniforms, books, everything they need to be successful, clean drinking, water, health care. Um, you can sign up to be a part of some of our trips. We do Kilimanjaro. We have a parent-child trip. Or you can just get so involved the in next, a So when's the next Kilimanjaro? Kilimanjaro is in uh, July this year, which is quite is it, soon. Is it sold out? Or? Uh, no, not yet. You can get involved still. Um, and then there's also another trip in February next year. Um, there's a parent-child trip in July and September every year as well. Right, so why is Kilimanjaro just out of interest? Uh, of all the places, it's a could, bucket list it's item. A bucket list. It's a bit of a challenge. People like to take on a bit of a challenge for charity. Yes, yeah. um, it's an incredible walk. It's probably one of the greatest things I've ever done. Right, you've done it. I've done it twice. Done it twice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a sucker for pain. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, 
go onto the, the website schoolforlife.org.au consider sponsoring a child yes any donation goes a long way to put it into perspective ten dollars feeds a child three nutritious meals a day for an entire month and um uh, when you are uh, looking for people to attend the Black Tie Ball. Um, Absolutely. Uh, First weekend da- of May every year. Okay. So that people know, you already know that's exactly. when it's going to be. Yeah, that's when it'll be. And, and where is that held? That's held at the Star City Casino in uh, in Sydney. Okay. So people can buy a ticket to go to the ball. Exactly. And imagine you've got auctions. And auctions, other sort of raffles, raffles, lots of things to give away and win. Um, and it's just a really fun night out. We had Ricky Lee there this year, um, David Campbell and Georgie Gardner emceeing, which was, always makes for mm-hmm. a great night. And, and Eddie Wu, um, an amazing Australian man who is an educator who came over to provide our teachers with professional development and has a very big following himself around mathematics. Ma- maths, yeah. Mm. yeah. Oh, well done. Thank so you. we've been listening to um, Annabelle Chauncey. I'll be back with Annabelle in just a moment. Ian Stewart here from Rotary Matters. We've been listening to Annabel Chauncey, co-founder of the School for Life in Uganda, a terrific uh, initiative for which I heartily congratulate um, Annabel and her team. I hope this is you've found this as inspiring as I have this afternoon. And um, I do urge you to go onto the website because there's some terrific imagery of some of the beautiful children, the biggest smiles you can imagine. Um, all decked out in their smart uniforms, which, Annabelle, some of those uniforms come from the tailoring project? Yeah, the ladies make them, all of them. Um, So they've got a big job making a 1,000 uniforms every year, Um, but it really provides them with employment and empowerment, which is fantastic. But what a nice circular arrangement. Exactly, and most of them are the mums of the children. So they go on to generate some income for themselves, which is fantastic. Many of them have gone and built their own homes and been able to, you know, provide for their families which mm-hmm. is just so so needed yeah well annabelle congratulations to you it's a wonderful story thank you i congratulate you again and it's such a heartwarming um uh, tale you tell um rotary is delighted to be involved in all of this yeah and- we'd be nowhere without rotary so massive kudos for them taking a chance on us at the age of 21 <laughs> and continuing to support us in so many ways it's really a fantastic foundation good well annabelle thanks very much for coming into the studio thank you thanks for having me ian stewart it's triple h 100.1 fm it's rotary matters it's friday afternoon coming up at four o'clock we'll have street beat with neil and justine everything you need to know about what's happening in this part of the world if you've just joined us this is rotary matters designed to put the spotlight onto the world of Rotary and onto some of the projects supported by Rotary Clubs and to introduce you to some regular and to some extraordinary Rotarians. Our guest today in the studio is Annabel Chauncey, OAM, from the School of Life in Uganda. If you missed it or want to uh, check out um, some more, go to www.schoolforlife.org.au.